quick reminder, it's at 10.30. We only have one service next Sunday, 10.30, outside in the back behind the gym and youth center. And uh, don't forget, uh, bring a side dish for your family. The rest of the food will be provided. You're going to bring a lawn chair, okay? Uh, some of you guys, you may have noticed in the video, some of you guys might want to have a hat, okay? I'm just saying. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, you're, uh, you might end up with a little bit of a sunburn. But uh, anyway, hey, this morning we are going to be concluding our series through the book of Matthew. If you've been with us for the past few weeks or months, you'll know that we've been doing this long journey through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And today, we are at the very end of this journey. We're going to come to the final four verses in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And I just want to say, I don't know about you, but I've been really blessed and encouraged through this series. Uh, I think it's just uh, it's been a great reminder for me personally about who Jesus was, what he did for us, and uh, today we're going to see now what he's called us to as we continue to serve him here in this world until he returns. Uh, as I begin this morning, I want to open up by just sharing a, a quick story with you. My father grew up in Southern California during the 1950s and 60s, and as a boy he had always dreamed of becoming a pilot. And so when he was 16 years old, my father took flying lessons during his summer vacation, and he eventually became, at that time, one of the youngest individuals in the state of California to earn their private pilot's license. Now, earning a pilot's license is similar to getting a driver's license. You take an exam with an instructor sitting in the cockpit next to you. And the instructor will have you fly the plane and perform a variety of maneuvers to see if you know how to fly. Well, when my father took his exam, he had a very interesting and unusual experience. You see, my father's flight instructor was a former World War II Marine fighter pilot. And he was a bit of a hot dog, according to my dad. He taught my dad how to fly, but his style and some of the techniques he taught my father were definitely not what the typical pilot in training will experience, especially not a 16-year-old teenager. Well, during my father's flight exam, one of the maneuvers he was asked to do that day is something called a graveyard spiral. Now, a graveyard spiral is when you pull back on the steering wheel of the airplane. And what happens then is that the nose of the airplane will go straight up into the air and will eventually cause the plane to stall or stop in midair. The nose of the plane will then plunge downward, causing the plane to spiral in circles as it plummets down towards Earth. Now, as you can imagine, for the pilot, this is a very exciting experience. My father used to say that the first time he did this in practice, he opened up the window of his cockpit and threw up all over downtown L.A. Well, on the day of his flight exam, my father's instructor had him do something even more exciting. The instructor first told my father to put on the hood. Now, a hood for flight instruction is a visor that comes down over your eyes and across the sides of your face to block your vision outside the airplane. 
The only things you can see are the instruments and gauges on the panel in front of you. And then the instructor said to my father, Now go into a graveyard spiral. Well, friends, they call it a graveyard spiral for a reason. You see, if you do it wrong, that's where you end up. In fact, you may recall it was a graveyard spiral that killed John F. Kennedy Jr. back in 1999. Well, as my father used to tell the story, with the hood on, not able to see outside the airplane, he began to pull back on that steering wheel. And the nose of the plane rose, and eventually the plane stalled and began spiraling back towards Earth. When this happened, my father's equilibrium or sense of balance went haywire. He began to experience what is known as vertigo, that state of mental and emotional disorientation where your senses just begin to go haywire. You see, what happens is the plane will be spinning right, but because your mind and emotions are so upset, you will actually think you are turning left. And if a person relies on their mind and emotions to get them out of a graveyard spiral, they will think they are turning left, so they will compensate by turning right. But what that will do will only put the plane into a greater spin and ultimately a crash. Well, fortunately, my father had been properly trained to handle this experience. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today. You see, what every pilot is taught is there is only one way to survive a graveyard spiral. And that is to trust and rely on the instruments in front of you. And obey what they are saying, even though it may be different and contrary to how you think and feel. The instruments tell the truth. And they do not lie. And if you're going to survive, you need to trust them. Now, friends, I share this illustration with us this morning because our world and many people's lives today are caught up in a graveyard spiral and heading for a collision. We watch the nightly news and we hear of wars and rumors of war. We see the global economy faltering. We have mass shootings, racial violence, drug and alcohol abuse. We see the ongoing assault on traditional family values and an increasingly hostile culture war. Families are struggling to get by. Marriages are falling apart all around us. Politicians and economists seem increasingly inept. And people are looking for answers, trying to make sense of what's going on in our world and in their own lives. Unfortunately, though, most people are looking for answers in all the wrong places, relying on their own thinking and feelings and emotions to guide them. But the graveyard spiral they find themselves in only seems to get worse. And friends, our world desperately needs today some instrument, some guide that will tell us the truth and will not lie. And it's into this situation that Jesus Christ calls out and He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And friends, Jesus Christ is the answer 
the world is looking for. He's the solution to all that plagues us. But the sad reality is, most people don't know it. In fact, for many people in our world, not only do they not know Jesus as the answer, but the name of Jesus Christ itself means absolutely nothing to them because they've never even heard of Him. According to recent statistics I saw this week, over 50% of the world's population, over 3.5 billion people today, still have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they currently have no realistic opportunity to hear it. You then have this whole other group of people, about 40% of the world's population, who have heard the name of Jesus, but they've rejected Him as the answer. Some are following false religions that have redefined the person and work of Jesus Christ. Some have misunderstood the truth about who Jesus is and what He taught. Some simply reject Him because they do not want to submit to His Lordship over their lives. Whatever the case may be, as I said a moment ago, Jesus is the answer. But most people don't know it. And the question we must address this morning is the same question the Apostle Paul asked as it relates to this dilemma in Romans 10, 14-15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You see, friends, people need the Lord today as desperately as ever. But before they can know the Lord, they must know the Lord. You know what I'm saying? You cannot know Jesus as the answer unless you truly know who Jesus is and what He's done for us. And how are these people going to come to know Jesus? Well, this is where our passage for today can give us some encouragement and direction. In fact, our passage today has been the primary motivating force for the advancement of the Gospel for over 2,000 years. It's a section of Scripture that has come to be known as the Great Commission. And it's the final mission that Jesus Christ left us, His followers, before His ascension into heaven. So I want to begin by reading this morning from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And after reading our passage for this morning, I'd like to share some observations and some words of encouragement from this passage. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, when people read or quote this Great Commission, typically we focus only on verses 18 through 20. 
the real heart of this passage. However, and maybe you caught it, there's this very interesting little observation that Matthew gives us as he describes the disciples on their journey to meet Jesus before they're given this final mission. It's found in verse 17. Did you see it? When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some, what? Some doubted. Now, friends, I'm going to be honest with you. For me personally, this is one of the most encouraging verses in the whole Bible. I mean, just consider what's going on here. Here you have the disciples. Jesus' disciples, they followed him and sat under his teaching for three years. They've seen his incredible power to do miracles. They've witnessed his death and triumphant resurrection from the grave. And they've proclaimed him to be their Lord and their God. And now, as they approach Jesus for what will be the final time here on earth, what do they do? They worship him, but some of them have their doubts. I love that this is in the Bible. Friends, these guys loved Jesus. They trusted him. They believed in him as the source of their salvation. These guys were full-fledged, God-fearing, saved believers. And as such... They do what believers do when they come into the presence of the Lord. They worshipped Him. But you know something? These guys weren't superheroes. They were human beings, just like you and I. And even though they loved the Lord and they worshipped Him, some of them still had their doubts. And friends, why I love this little reference so much is because what it tells me is that it's okay to love Jesus, to call Him your Savior and Lord, to come here on a Sunday morning and worship Him, and yet do so with the fears, worries, and uncertainties that are common to all of us. That's okay. And friends, you know something? It was okay with Jesus, too. Jesus knew these guys' doubts. But notice, He didn't try to persuade them away. He didn't give them some big lecture on apologetics or theology. He didn't rehash all the miracles they had seen, or even His resurrection. They knew all that stuff. And yet they still had their concerns. And Jesus was okay with that. But notice... How does Jesus respond to their doubts? He sends them on a mission. He basically says, Go and trust in Me. You see, friends, while there's nothing contradictory about a follower of Jesus Christ having doubts and uncertainties, the greatest cure for our doubts is to follow the Lord's command and go and serve Him. And what Jesus knew the disciples really needed, and what I have seen to be the case in my life time and time again, and what I would bet has been the case for the majority of us here today, is that the place where we most intimately meet, know, and grow in Christ 
is when we're on mission in service to Him. How many of you would agree that that's been your personal experience? Many of us. And why is this the case? It's because Christianity, friends, is more than just a set of intellectual propositions that we assent to. Following Jesus Christ is not just about head knowledge and knowing the right stuff. Following Christ is about belief and trust and an intimate relationship of love with and for the Lord. And those are things you cannot learn from pure study alone. They must be experienced. And they're best experienced when we step out in faith, trusting in the Lord while serving Him and His kingdom priorities. You know, sort of like the first time I went rock climbing rappelling as a junior high student at camp. I remember the instructor telling us all about the ropes and the gear, the harnesses, and how all of it was strong enough to support the weight of a whole car, and so there would be no way that we could fall. And I believed him. But you know something, friends? I didn't really come to know and trust in that rope and in that climbing gear until I, until I took that first step off the edge of that cliff. Friends, this is what Jesus is calling his disciples to here in this passage. It's what he's calling all of us to here as well. To take that step of faith. To go and trust in him. And to join in on the final mission he sent us on. And friends, it is there. It is there where you will experience the cure for doubt and uncertainty the greatest cure for doubt and uncertainty in your life is when you step out in faith, on mission, trusting in the Lord. Because it's when we're on mission for Him that we are closest to the Lord and we come to most intimately know Him. What exactly is this final mission that Jesus has sent us on? Well, here we come to the heart of this passage today, the section known as the Great Commission. In verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, there's a wealth of material that we could cover within these final marching orders that Jesus has given us. However, for the sake of time this morning, I want to simply focus on the main theme of this mission. The challenge to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And the first thing I want to highlight about this final mission is that it reveals that our faith is not all about us. Our faith is not all about us. Notice, Jesus says, go and make disciples. He doesn't say, stay and grow as disciples. You see, for the Christian friends, the Great Commission reminds us that our own personal growth and fulfillment is not the end goal of our faith. 
Instead, the mission we've been given is primarily about reaching lost people who need to know Jesus Christ. And why has God given us this mission? Because our God cares for lost people. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save lost people. And all of us here today who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord were also once lost people. And what Jesus has commissioned us to do with whatever time we have here on this earth is to be a part of His great mission of reaching other lost people who also need to know Him. That's the goal. And it is this goal, friends, that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in the world. Christianity is the only faith in the entire world whose primary mission is the salvation of others. Think about that. For every other religion in the world, the ultimate goal is about earning your personal salvation, attaining your enlightenment, becoming a God yourself, earning your way to paradise, escaping your suffering, and on and on. Every other religion in the world is ultimately primarily motivated by personal self-interest. However, for Christians who have been saved by God's grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ, our goal is totally different. Probably the best way for me to explain this to you is to share a story with you. A story about my friend Lou. Our family has a friend, his name's Lou, and Lou grew up in the Buddhist nation of Thailand for the first 22 years of his life. Lou grew up in a devout Buddhist family. When Lou was 22 years old, he received a scholarship to come over here to America to study in the university. During his first year studying here at the university, Lou was befriended by a group of Christians on campus. And Lou ultimately gave his life over to Jesus Christ, putting his trust in Him as his Lord and Savior. Friends, if Lou were here this morning and he were to share his testimony with us, Lou would explain his testimony of turning from Buddhism to Christianity. He would share this with us. He says, when I was a Buddhist, I felt like I was in the middle of this large lake and I was drowning and I didn't know how to swim. Lou says, I was doing everything I could to keep my head above water, gasping for breath. But he says, I was drowning. I was dying. And Lou says, as I was about to go under, I looked out on the shore of that lake and all of a sudden the Buddha walked up to the edge of the lake. And Buddha walked up to the edge of the lake and he began shouting out instructions, teaching me how to swim. The Buddha said, Lou, if you'll just paddle your arms and kick your feet, you'll be able to keep your head above water. You'll be able to swim. But Buddha said, Lou, you must make it to shore by yourself. And Lou explains that as I was doing everything I could to follow the Buddha's guidance and teaching, I was kicking, I was paddling, I was doing everything I could to keep my head above water. But I was still drowning. I was going under. And he explains that as I was about to go under for the last time, I looked out on the shore of that lake one last time. 
And this time I saw Jesus Christ walk up to the edge of that lake. But Jesus Christ didn't stop at the edge of the lake. Jesus Christ dove out into that lake and He swam out and He rescued me. And once Jesus Christ had brought me safely back to shore, then Jesus taught me how to swim so that I could go back and rescue others. See, friends, as Lou's story so powerfully reminds us, a Christian is one who has been saved and rescued by the grace of Jesus Christ. And why? For the purpose of joining Christ's mission of rescuing others. This is what it's all about. And this is our mission. And it makes Christianity unique among the religions of the world. Now, the second piece of this mission we've been given is our calling to make disciples. To make disciples. And this is where we really need to have our priorities in order and have a correct understanding of our mission. Because when we think about what it means to be a disciple or to make disciples, friends, it can be very easy to focus solely and purely on the goal of personal spiritual growth. Now, spiritual growth is a key aspect of discipleship and following Jesus Christ. Here at Lakes Free, for example, we offer all kinds of classes and small groups and Bible studies for the purpose of helping you grow in your knowledge of the faith and in your personal walk with the Lord. And friends, these are good goals. And we should all desire to grow in maturity as followers of Jesus Christ. However, I want to caution you, friends. It is very easy to get stuck in a never-ending quest for ever greater personal spiritual growth. And many Christians find themselves perpetually feeding off the spiritual growth buffet line, taking in more and more knowledge for their own benefit without ever giving back or investing in, the, in what is truly our primary mission the goal of reaching lost people with the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why here at Lakes Free, we have as our church's mission statement the following. Our mission is to glorify God by making healthy, multiplying disciples who will work together to reach the world for Jesus Christ. You see, friends, our prayer for you as part of our Lakes Free community, is that you will truly grow and be blessed as you discover the fullness of life that is found in being a follower of Jesus Christ. But we also want for you to know the thrill of participating in the mission of reaching others with the hope of the Gospel. Jesus has called all of us to be a part of this great mission. And this morning, I want to challenge you to think about how you can contribute to the cause of reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. In a world full of people who need to know the Lord, what are you doing to make an eternal difference? A few years back, this was a question that God really challenged me with in a very powerful way. A few years ago, I had an opportunity to travel to Cuba 
My father, brother, and I had been invited to join a group of pastors and evangelists to go to Cuba and teach pastors' conferences across that island nation. We were meeting up with other team members at the Miami airport. People were coming in from all over the world to meet together and fly to Cuba. One of the team members we were going to be going to Cuba with was a famous missionary named Mickey Walker. Mickey Walker is a missionary with Operation Mobilization, and Mickey is a famous street preacher. He's preached on street corners all over the world. Mickey is one of the most bold and passionate guys about sharing his faith that you'll ever meet. Well, we're sitting there in the Miami airport at the gate, at our, ter- at our terminal gate, waiting for our team members to arrive, and I look down the terminal, and all of a sudden I see this big guy, and Mickey, he looks like Santa Claus. He's got this big white bushy beard and kind of a bigger guy. Here's Mickey coming down the terminal, and he, he is literally passing out tracks to everybody he sees. I kid you not. He's going up to the TSA agents. He's going up to police officers, the concession vendors, the, the maintenance workers, the passengers, pilots, flight attendants. He's passing out tracks to everybody as he's walking down the terminal. And I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm thinking, this guy's a little, little different here, right? Well, Mickey comes up, and we meet him and exchange pleasantries and greetings, and, and Mickey says, guys, I'm going to go back and start passing out some more tracks. Friends, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I was a little bit embarrassed to be associated with my friend Mickey as he was there at our gate passing out tracks. And in all honesty, I didn't really want to be seen or associated with Mickey that day. And so I got up and I walked down the terminal and I sat at a gate a couple gates down. Friends, I kid you not, as I sat at that gate looking down the hall watching my friend Mickey pass out tracks, it was like the Holy Spirit pulled up a chair right next to me. And I remember very clearly the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And he said to me, Jason, you're embarrassed by your friend Mickey passing out tracks. But what are you doing? What are you doing to reach all these lost people? Man, talk about a gut check moment. Here I was, a pastor going to Cuba to teach other pastors how to do evangelism. And yet I myself was embarrassed by the boldness of my friend sharing his faith. Friends, I committed then and there that I would never again be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would never again miss out on an opportunity to share my faith with a lost person that God brings across my path. Friends, given the mission we've been sent on by our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, I believe all of us must reflect upon that very question that God confronted me with in the Miami airport. What are you doing? What are you doing to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs to know Him? Or maybe the better question for you this morning is, what are you willing to do? Maybe there's someone in your life today that God's been calling you to share the gospel with. Maybe it's time you did that. Can you imagine, friends, what might happen if all of us committed in the next week to share the gospel with just one person? Imagine 
what God could do with that type of faith commitment from our congregation. Or maybe God's been prompting you to jump in and serve in ministry somewhere. Maybe here at church or somewhere out in the community. Maybe God's going to use you this next year to be one of those Sunday school teachers or Awana leaders we need. Those key individuals who plant the seed of the gospel and a love of Jesus Christ in the next generation of our church. Maybe there's a little kid sitting here this morning who will look back on their life 20 years from now and say, I'm a Christian today because that guy committed to give a year of his life to a bunch of kindergartners. Friends, I remember who that guy was for me. His name was Mr. Mull, my kindergarten Sunday school teacher at Grace Church in Edina. Who's going to be Mr. Mull for our kids this year? Or maybe you're not ready for such a hands-on commitment to advancing the gospel. But maybe God's challenging you to take your first step into the final mission by supporting the advance of the gospel behind the scenes. Maybe as a faithful prayer warrior or by sharing your financial resources for the cause of Christ. Friends, there are literally millions of souls in heaven today because of the faithful prayers and offerings of countless unnamed believers. The bottom line this morning is this. There are so many ways to contribute to the mission Christ has given us. And if we're going to be obedient to the Lord, we all must commit to playing our part in the advancement of the gospel. So again, I ask you, what are you doing? What are you willing to do? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for what you've done for us by sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die on a cross to save us from our sins. And Lord, you have now given us the privilege of participating in your great mission of reaching a lost world with the hope of the gospel. None of us who are here today as Christians are here without someone sharing the good news of Jesus with us. And Lord, I pray that you would inspire us today with a passion for lost people. Lord, I pray that you would give us as your church a heart for lost people. Friends, neighbors, co-workers, family members, people all around us every single day who need to know you. Lord, I pray that you would give us your heart for these lost people so that we might go out and rescue them with the good news of Jesus Christ. That we might introduce them to you, our Lord and Savior, who died for their sins, who loves them so very much. Lord Jesus, I just pray that this next year of ministry here at Lakes Free would be incredibly fruitful. That we would keep the main thing the main thing, Lord. That we wouldn't get caught up in the buffet line of ever, never-ending, ongoing personal spiritual growth. But Lord, as we grow as disciples, that we might understand that we do so for the sake of going back into the world to share our faith and the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Lord, bless this next year of ministry here. God, I pray that this year we would see people come to faith in you like never before. 
that we would see miracles take place here this year, that we would see countless lives transformed, and that it would happen, God, because you raised up an army of faithful people here today who were inspired to go out into our world and make a difference for Jesus Christ. Touch our hearts. Give us a passion. Give us a boldness. Give us your heart for the lost. I pray this today in Jesus' precious name. Amen.